Turn with me in your Bible to Joshua chapter 1. We left off in verse 10. Joshua 1 verse 10. We'll go through the end of the chapter this morning. Friday night, I guess, cooking, making some spaghetti. You know, dad's favorite meal when he's got to cook. So I was whipping up some spaghetti and I had the water boiling and had a spoon there, stainless steel spoon, and I went and I, I grabbed uh, the spoon and it was too close to the burner and I burned my thumb, you know. And I, I tell you that story so you'll feel sorry for me. No, nah, not really. But you know, I was coming to church last night and my thumb's sore, sensitive, and I was feeling, you know, that, that spoon, it impacted me. And that became my prayer for this weekend as we get into God's word, that God's word would impact us. You know, God says that his word is sharp It's powerful, more powerful than a two-edged sword. But sometimes because either we're not listening or we're distracted or we're calloused, we read God's word and it doesn't impact us. So agreed? Let's pray this morning that God's word would, would impact us. Let's pray together. Father, too often, more than we would like to admit, sometimes we open up your word, whether it's together in a setting like this or quietly before you in our devotional time, and there really is an impact And Lord, we pray that this morning it'd be different, that you would remove distractions, that you would bind our flesh and bind the enemy and give us hearts that are open to hearing what you would speak uh, through your word. We know that there isn't going to be change without the Holy Spirit. So Father, would you give the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth? Would you give me grace and clarity in teaching your word? And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We find this unfolding message of God through the books of the Bible. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we see that in the beginning was God, that God pre-existed creation. And in this place of him being eternal, that he creates us and he loves us and gives grace to us. The book of Exodus is God's story of redemption, that he redeems us out of bondage. Leviticus, which is probably one of your favorite books of the Bible that you spend a lot of time in, right? Probably not. Leviticus is an example of worship, of how these animals that were innocent were sacrificed, pointing to Jesus Christ who laid down his life as the lamb for our sins, and we worship the Lord. Numbers shows us that God sees us, knows us, counts us as we enter into his army and what he has for us. Then Deuteronomy is the spiritual account of the law, Moses' perspective of the law for this generation that's going to go into the promised land. Joshua is symbolic of our relationship with the Lord, the book of Joshua that we're studying, and how God desires for us to enter into all that he has for us. If you were here last week, we saw, and we'll review for just a moment, how Moses is dead really the forerunner, the first leader of the nation of Israel, Joshua gets this divine call from God, where God says, Joshua, it's your turn. You're going to lead the children of Israel. He's to be strong. He's to be of good courage, to be confident of the Lord. This promise that God's presence is going to be with him. And that's the greatest thing for us as we venture out into the things that God has for us. The very presence of God is with us. In order for Joshua to succeed in this call, God says, my word needs to live in you, needs to be on your mind and in your mouth, in your heart. The word of God needs to indwell you and then to live out the word of God, not only living in the word of God, but living it out and being obedient to God's word. And this is where we pick up as we come into verse 10. 
Whenever there is a movement of God, a revival, an uprising, a revolution, a challenging of the status quo, it always starts small. It always starts in the heart of one individual. It starts in our hearts personally as we fall in love with the Lord. Then it begins to spread. And the rest of chapter 1, as we're reading the book of Joshua, would be easy to overlook, but it's hugely significant because this is the point where the movement of God spreads in the book of Joshua. Joshua gives this message to the children of Israel, it's time to rise up. God's got a plan. God's doing a work. And I desire for you to be a part of it. So verse 10, we'll find first Joshua's command. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, Joshua commanded them. He didn't suggest. He didn't go to the officers and say, hey guys, what do you think? Is this going to be a good time for us to go into the promised land? Let me get your strategies on how we're going to cross over the Jordan River. God hadn't even given the how yet of it getting across the Jordan River. I think that if Joshua would have done that, the outcome would have been differently. Because with those suggestions would have come division. There wouldn't have been unity. But Joshua had heard from God. He had the distinct call of God. He knew what God was asking him to do. He knew that it lined up with, with Scripture. And now he takes action. Church, people of God... Don't you think we live in a time where we need leaders? We need people to hear the voice of God, to get into the word of God, and to take out those steps of faith, to launch out in what God has for them. And God has given structure in different aspects of life and society. In government, he raises up leaders. God's the one who's given us the institution of government. We see that in Romans 13. We're crying out as a country, whether we realize it or not, we need godly leaders. I was encouraged talking to a, a young man in the foyer. He's graduating college here in two weeks. I said, where are you headed? What are you doing? He says, God's put on my heart to be involved in government. I think I'm moving to Washington, D.C. And I was like, praise the Lord. We need men and women who have a heart for our country, that are committed to God's word, that want to know it and obey it, that say we want to be used in this facet that God has, has set up. Also inside of the home, God's given a divine order. And that might not be very popular. It's countercultural. But God has said this, that husbands are to be the head of their wives, to be the head of the home in Ephesians chapter 5. Fathers, husbands, it's going to be humbling for us, but we're going to stand before the Lord someday and going to have to answer for what took place in our marriage to took place in our home. God's not going to look to our wives and have them answer for what took place in our marriage and took place in our homes. He's going to ask us to answer. Homes are in crisis. Families are in crisis. We need godly leaders in the home, don't we? We need men like Joshua who get alone with God, who get a conviction that comes from God, gets a call and says, I'm going to step out and what the Lord has for me. God set up an order inside of the church where elders are raised up by the Lord according to 1 Timothy 3, walking in integrity that are in love with the Lord, passionate about things of God. And it's that group of men as they seek the Lord that they're to lead the church. I think that you would agree that the church as a whole, and especially in America, is in need of godly leaders. And that's something that we can pray for. But the lesson here for all of us is that Joshua took action. He took action. He didn't delay. 
He didn't come up with reasons why he couldn't step out in faith. He stepped out and he commanded. He took leadership. Even though he was fearing, feeling fearful, he took leadership. So what is it that God has been putting on your heart? I don't think it's an accident that we're studying Joshua. I believe the Spirit of God has been before us, speaking to us, saying, hey, you know what? I want you to be involved in this neighbor's life. Make him a part of your weekly schedule. He's been stirring that inside of your heart. Maybe it's been that God's been showing you and speaking to you, saying, you need to spend more time with this child. You, you need to pray with your wife. You need to reach out to, to this coworker. And maybe we've sat on it for a long time. We haven't taken any action. We've gotten distracted. We've gotten busy. And we can look back and go, wow, I let that go. Maybe this morning there's a dormant call of God that's been dormant for 20 years. You can remember that Joshua moment where God spoke to you and said, you know what? I want you to do this. And for whatever reason, you've lost sight of it. But we need to take action in the things that God has called us to. This week, we've been playing with glow sticks at our house. It was a Wanna store night on Wednesday night, so we've got glow sticks in the house. That, in conjunction with a trip to the dollar store, so we've got a plethora of glow sticks. Now, I don't know if you've played with glow sticks for a while, but if it's been a little while, let me remind you how they work. When you open up the package, there's no light. They're, they're dead as a doornail. What do you got to do in order to use this glow stick? You've got to activate it. You got to activate it. You got to break the glass. There's actually glass inside of the glow stick that somehow once that glass is broken, that it's cracked, that that does something to the chemical inside. I don't want to know about that chemical inside, right? As long as it stays inside and doesn't come out of the container, but then you've got glow. So we've been, before bedtime, turning off all the lights in the house, closing the shades. We've been having glow stick party. We turn on the lights and whoop, 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 whoop. We, we have fun, right? But it wouldn't be near as fun if we didn't activate the glow stick. And maybe you're at this place where, where you're saying, you know what? I really haven't activated my calling. I haven't taken steps. I haven't taken action on what the Lord has called me to do. And maybe, in fact, you find the Christian life just to be a little bit boring. Now, even this morning in worship during this service, I felt God speaking to my heart saying, Eric, I don't want to be your obligation. I want to be your passion. And maybe if this morning you're honest in your heart and you're saying, God's just my obligation. You know, I'm here this morning out of, out of obligation. I'm not here out of passion. And, and maybe you're honestly in that place where you feel a little bit bored with the things of God. It's time to take action and take steps of faith and what the Lord has put on your heart to do. And for some, it's in the area of turning away for sin. And for some, it's in the area of serving and probably some of both. Maybe it's pornography. You're not going to move into the land that God has for you. You're not going to rise up the way the Lord would intend if you continue in this habitual pattern of pornography. You know your family goes to bed and you know what you do with your eyes on your favorite device. This device that you've got in your pocket. This device that you've got the Bible on. You've also got this pornography. They don't mix. You've got to make a choice. You've got to activate your calling. You've got to get that garbage out of your life and pursue Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in a detrimental dating relationship. High school students, college students, 
doesn't matter the age, but you know it's not a relationship with God. And you're sinning and you're compromising. You're not going to enter into what God has for you until you cut that relationship off. Married folks, you're starting to have eyes for somebody that's not your spouse. Maybe you're flirting around. Maybe you're already in that relationship. You've got to cut it off this morning. Jesus, meek and mild Jesus, that we consider him so much, was also very intense on sin, wasn't he? He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. Take radical steps of action against sin. Now, lest we come in next Sunday with some amputees, I want to explain this. Because what if you do cut your hand off? Because your right hand's causing you to sin and you don't deal with your heart and ask Jesus to transform your heart, then you're going to sin with your left hand. And then now you've got to cut off your left hand. And you just keep going and you keep going until there's nothing left. The point that Jesus is making is get serious about taking steps against sin. But if we're to be that serious about cutting sin out of our lives, I think God would want us to be that passionate about serving Him. Agreed? So it's not just what we say no to, but it's what we also say yes to. And saying, God, I want to serve you, and I'm going to step into the things that you've called me to. And that's what Joshua does here. He commanded these officers and saying, it's time for us to go. He didn't take suggestions. He took leadership. He took charge. What does he tell them specifically in verse 11? Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provision for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord God is giving you to possess. Joshua has thought this through. He sought the Lord in prayer because he doesn't go and give this information to the whole multitude of Israel. He only goes to the officers, and then the officers are going to communicate with the rest of the children of Israel. You want to be careful as you're moving out in the vision that God's given you, who you share with, because there will be those people that will be a cold cup of ice water on your fiery vision from God. Maybe Joshua remembers how this went the first time around when the spies came back and shared with the whole multitude of Israel. Three days, three days, and then you're going to cross over into this land. Significant because Jesus was buried in his tomb for three days, wasn't he? And the greater than Joshua, Jesus leads us into the land. Practically, for this multitude, it would give some time, 72 hours, to think and pray and seek the Lord. Because we know that the Jordan was flooded at this point. It was overflowing its banks. Snow was melting on Mount Hermon. We were in Israel during the spring and got to experience what that runoff is like. A lot of water coming down off of the mountains, the Jordan's overflowing. And you're sitting there with your family in your tent and you're looking at the Jordan River going, I'm not so sure that this is a good time to cross the Jordan. I'm not so sure that Joshua has heard from God. Hey, uh, Joshua, there's giants over there. You know, let's just just stay over here. And I'm sure that they're wrestling with all of these things. And during that time of waiting, I'm sure God was ministering to their hearts. There's usually this time of waiting before the step of faith, isn't there? Where God says, hold on, just get ready, pack up your stuff, and in three days we're going to possess the land. 
In verse 11, it says, possess the land which the Lord God is giving you to possess. God's already giving it. They just need to possess it. And that's really the theme for us in the book of Joshua, that we would possess what he's given us. The greater than Joshua, Jesus, leads us into the promises of God. Think about Christ's death and resurrection. What did Jesus promise that was different? Relationship with the Spirit. Through the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and faith in Christ, we get an amazing promise from God. Church, check this out this morning. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's a promise that Old Testament believers didn't experience. That's part of the new covenant that we enter into. And so we possess that possession. Well, what do you mean, Eric? Is it like we're just filled with the Holy Spirit one time and that's it and we're done? We need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. It'd be nice if you only had to go to the gas tank once to fill up for a lifetime, but it's a regular occurrence. And man, it sure hurts the wallet, doesn't it? Thankfully, we can go to the Holy Spirit. Jesus has paid the price for us so that we can come and say, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has given us victory through his death and resurrection, but we have to enter into it. We have to reckon the old man to be dead. I'm no longer going to allow my sinful nature to rule and to reign. Before we were Christians, we couldn't have victory over sin. We're enslaved to sin. But part of being a new creation is we can have victory over sin. Because we identify with his death and resurrection. We nail the old man to the cross of Calvary. We enter into what God has for us. So this is Joshua's command. Take action. And now Joshua's reminder in verse 12 and 13. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Let's pause here for just a moment. What's going on? Why these two and a half tribes? Because in Numbers 32, this gang comes to Moses and says, we don't want to dwell in the promised land. We want to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. The Jordan would be the dividing line of the promised land. And what did God say to him? God's answer was, sure. If you don't want to live in what I have for you, you can. But this is the condition. When it does come time to fight for the promised land, you fight with the rest of the nation of Israel. I think this is humbling because we have a generation who didn't enter into the land because of unbelief, but we also have two and a half tribes that don't want to live in what God has provided for them. You continue to read the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles 5, we find that this was the first group to be wiped out in Israel. They left themselves vulnerable. And the picture that we get, and you might want to write this down and read, is in Hebrews 3 and 4, the author of Hebrews tells us that this is an illustration of what we can have in Jesus Christ. That those who died in the wilderness of unbelief, that we're to exhort each other every day. That unbelief doesn't enter into our hearts so that we enter into the rest that Jesus has provided. First, salvation, but then every single day that we can live in his peace through trusting in what he has done for us. So these guys don't want to live in the land. They don't want to live in what God's provided. If you don't want to live in the rest of Jesus Christ, if you don't want to live in his grace and his peace, Jesus will say, okay, you know, have fun on on the other side of the Jordan. But Joshua does remind them of their commitment 
that you promised that you would fight for the land. So Joshua is laying this out to them in this reminder in verse 14 and 15. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Okay, guys, it's time to rise up. It's time for you to fight with us. In order for God's heart to be fulfilled, it took an army, didn't it? Joshua couldn't do this alone. So he goes to these two and a half tribes. Why would he go to them first? This is why. Because I think when they respond and they say, we're all in, what would that do to the other tribes of Israel? These guys are going to fight and they're not even going to live in the land. I'm going to fight for my possession. And this morning, I'd like to remind us about what Jesus says about his work. Joshua reminded this group about God's word. I want to remind us about God's word. When we receive Christ as our Savior, an amazing thing happened to us. We actually became a part of the body of Christ. This is an illustration that Jesus gives. What a compliment that he would give to his church. That he would take us, a bunch of sinners, renegades, save us, wash us with his blood, but then say, you're my body. Not just our church, this particular church, but the body of Christ, every believer throughout the whole world. So this means that every Christian right now, wherever they're at, including us, is that we have a part to play in Christ's body. And Christ's body is his hands and his feet in this lost and dying world. That God has given us gifts and talents and abilities to be used to encourage and edify other believers. I'm going to be honest with us this morning. I think that this is something that the American church has lost sight of a little bit because we're consumers in our mentality. That's kind of how we view life. It's the American way is to consume and consume and consume. So we look at a church, not a church building, but we look at a church, a local fellowship with a mindset of what can the church do for me? So we come in and we're looking for a, a new church and we're like, you know, I don't know about the worship. It really doesn't quite do it for me. Oh, you know, the children's ministry, I, you know, I don't I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. And you know, the, the pastor, he's, he's a little too tall, too skinny, or he has too much hair or not enough hair or you know, all the, all these kind of things enter into our hearts and our minds. And don't get me wrong. There are important things for you to evaluate as you choose the church that God is calling you to. And those are important things for you to think through. And is your family being fed and those type of things? But at some point, there's a hurdle for us to get over and realize, you know what? God has made me a part of the church body, not just for me to consume, but for me to edify others. As I'm being built up in the Lord, as I'm receiving, then I am going to serve others. And I don't want this to come across heavy-handed because that's not my heart at all. And this is my heart. I want to share it with you. Is for us as a church family, for every believer, myself included, 
I desire for us to see the walls of Jericho fall. I desire for you to know personally what it's like to see God slay a giant. And that's not going to happen unless you commit to be a part of his work. Unless I commit to be part of his work. I want to see that in the life of my family. But I also want to see that in your life. I want to see that in the life of, of this church. That that would be the testimony that God brings to our, our church, our legacy, that we were all in for his work. I think this is two-faceted, two ways. One first is, how do you relate to other believers? And have you thought about, God has gifted me so that I can edify other believers? And some of you, you just got the gift of mercy, you know? If someone's going through a hard time or they're injured or in the hospital, you're just like, oh, your, your heart just, just goes out to them. And we need you here at RMC. And maybe you sign up for the hospital ministry. But others of you, you're not so much compassion and mercy, not that you deny it, but you're really geared towards the gift of helps. If someone's going through a hard time, you're not going to sit there and cry with them necessarily. You're going to be like, I hear the toilet leaking. And that's going to really affect their utility bill. I'm going to go fix the toilet. And that's a gift that's given from God. So you go and you help them. Some of you are exhorters. You're, you're the ones in the body of Christ. It's like, come on. <laughs> you know, you know the word. It's time for you to live it. You need to step up and you need to do it. And hey, we need you. We need that challenge that, that comes from the Lord. So as you begin to serve and plug into the body of Christ, whether it's with a ministry here at the church and you get a volunteer application, or it's in your neighborhood with believers and you open up your home, or you begin to encourage the believers at your workplace and say, let's get together and have a prayer meeting, but don't miss the importance of plugging into the body of Christ and serving the body of Christ. The other facet is, as the body of Christ we reach out to a lost and dying world. God desires for every single one of us to have a heart for people that are going to hell. We don't know when we're going to step into eternity. God never promised 80 years or 85. I don't care what Time Magazine is saying that people are living older and longer. That may be true. You may live to be 100 or, or longer, but your life may be snuffed out very quickly. The life of your neighbor may be snuffed out really quickly. And God wants to work in us a commitment to the gospel and the great commission, to where we're praying and we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're reaching out with the love of Jesus Christ to whom God puts on our hearts. Pick two people that don't know the Lord and pray for them and reach out to them. Pick two countries that God's burdened on your heart internationally and pray for them outside of our borders and pray consistently that God will work and say, Lord... I'm in. I'm in to your body. I'm into your work. I want to see your plan fulfilled. In church, I love being a part of this church. I love being a part of Rocky Mountain Calvary and seeing what God is doing. I love the hunger for God's word and the anticipation to study God's word. The worship, the, the outreach. I'm so excited for May 15th, for our next revolution. Last year, we saw God move. We saw God answer prayer. We saw people come into the kingdom of God. Be a part of it. Grab some flyers. Pray about. Say, you know what? We're going to make time Wednesday, May 15th to be here. Johnny, I know you might miss soccer this one time, 
but we're going to come because something special is happening and we're praying in faith that God is going to work and bring people to Jesus Christ. We have been blessed by God's grace to see people come to know the Lord almost on a weekly basis. I'm blown away as we have baptism services to see people making a public declaration of their faith. Here in a few weeks on May 17th and 18th, we're having another baptism. If you know Christ is your Savior and you want to make that public declaration. But this is my heart and this is my encouragement to all of us. As the Lord is moving and you see different things and different opportunities, is be a part of it and jump in and go for it and say, God, count me in. Because this is what I'm observing, is we live in crazy times. And I think we're close to the rapture of the church. As I look at current events and I look at what God says of the signs of his coming, we have to be close. Now, I don't know the day or the hour. If I went down that road, I'd be Harold camping. And I don't want to join that guy. Remember him who gave us a date of when he thought Christ was going to return. But Jesus told us to be ready. In these last days, I want to be part of his work. I want to be found doing his work when Christ returns. This is the reminder. Hey, let's go for it. These two and a half tribes, they could have stayed in comfort, couldn't they? They were already settled on the other side of the Jordan. They could say, we remember our commitment. We remember what the word was given to us through through Moses, but we're we're just going to stay here. It's comfortable. We all have that same choice. With our lives, we can stay in that place of all, I'm, I'm comfortable. Or we can say, I'm in with the war. I'm in with the battle. Sometimes I experience in this in my life and experience it in conversations that I have. Someone will say, oh, you know, God's just really been stirring me for the second graders and I've been praying about teaching there and, and those kind of things and bump into them two years later and it's like, you know, I've still been burdened for the junior high kids, the high school kids, but I really haven't taken that step to, to, to be involved. I really haven't entered into to the war. Sometimes in, in my life, there'll be things that I know that are on my heart, but for whatever reason, whether it's distraction, busyness, laziness, or fear, I really don't take steps. I don't really enter in. And we miss out when that takes place. The last thing that we see in these verses is finally Joshua's encouragement, where he's going to be encouraged by these two and a half tribes. So they answered Joshua saying, all that you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. They said, hey, we're in. We are in. Wherever you send us, Joshua, we'll go. We're going to fight this battle with you. Unity begins to be birthed amongst the multitude of the children of Israel. This is so important in the movement of God. For there to be unity. For brothers and sisters in Christ to walk together together in unity in our local fellowship, but also with other churches. There are things to divide over of a biblical nature. We stand fast upon the word of God. If someone's compromising the word of God, then then we have to hold to to the teachings of God's word. But there's many things that we divide over that we don't need to divide over, that we could choose to walk in, in unity. And when there's disunity, it's heartbreaking, isn't there? You guys hear about what's going on with Kobe Bryant and his mom? You know, Kobe Bryant plays for the Los Angeles uh, Lakers, and there's this disagreement that him and his mom are having over some high school jerseys and some trophies and some things early on in his career that he'd left at his mom's house. And 
USA Today reported on it on, on Thursday. There's about 900 items, and mom decides that she's going to sell 100 of those items, which are estimated to go for $1.5 million at auction. This auction house says, we're going to give you $450,000 up front. And so she took the money and bought a house in Nevada. She wanted to buy a house in Nevada. And so that, that's why she was going forward. Well, this, well, Kobe Bryant saying, no, this stuff belongs to me. It doesn't belong to mom. So mom, you can't sell it. And so he offered his mom $250,000. And she said, boy, you better keep talking. You know, you better bring some more money than $250,000. So now there's a lawsuit that's taking place between the two of them and the auction house on whose stuff is this. And I go, that is heartbreaking, isn't it? I mean, that's absolutely sad. You've got a mom and a son who are fighting over these things. But how much more so inside the family of God when we fight over things that aren't biblical, that aren't over issues of truth. I'd like to read Psalms 133. It speaks of how blessed it is to dwell together in unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And how true that is. Here's the illustrations of what unity is like. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. When Aaron was anointed as a priest, they anointed him with oil to where it just ran down his, his beard, would get upon his clothes, would permeate his whole being. When we pray for people here at the church that are sick, James 5 tells us to anoint them with oil. And so don't get nervous if you come and ask the elders for prayer. We're just going to put a little bit of oil on your forehead. We're not going to do the Aaron thing where we, that might be fun to just pour it all over your head. But why is this an illustration of blessing? Is that when we walk in unity, there's an anointing that God puts upon us that permeates our whole being. And church, do we want that? when we choose to let go of these differences and disagreements and endeavor to keep the spirit of unity, there's an anointing that comes upon this ministry. There's an anointing that comes upon our lives personally. And the second illustration that's given, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So we talked about Mount Hermon and how the snow melts off of it. And that water then would go to all of Israel. Water is very scarce in Israel. So once again, the unity will trickle down. The unity will be a blessing to everybody. So these guys, they, they choose unity by saying, we're with you, we're all in, in verse uh, 16. Before we move to verse 17, just one more thing on this verse is it reminds me of Jonathan's armor bearer. Remember that story? Where Jonathan says, God wants to do a work. There's only two swords in all of Israel. Saul's sitting on his. He doesn't do anything with his sword. So Jonathan says, let's go climb this rock face. There's garrison of Philistines at the top. And if they call us up, we know God's going to give us the victory. And what did Jonathan's armor bearer do at that point? Ah, uh, the odds aren't very good. This is kind of where I check out, um, putting in my two-minute notice right now. So, no, whatever's in your heart, Jonathan... I'm with you. And I think that that's more challenging sometimes. Because when it's our heart, our vision, and the Lord speaks to us, it's a little easier to move forward. But when we're supporting someone else, we didn't necessarily hear God's voice in the same way. 
We're recognizing that God spoke to them and it's biblical. And so we're behind them. And these two and a half tribes show that same spirit as Jonathan's armor bearer. In verse 17, just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. So not only are they they with Joshua, but they're going to follow Joshua. And this is important because there can only be so many cooks in the kitchen. Right, ladies? Right? If your mom comes over and starts telling you how to do that recipe, what happens? Look out. Whoop, 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 whoop. You know? Sparks fly. But if your mom comes and realizes that you're the queen of that kitchen, says, how can I help? And comes under your guidance. Humbling thing to do, right? Works out fine. There can be a lot of helpers, but there can be only one cook in the kitchen. There can only be one Joshua. And here they say, you know what, Joshua, we see God's hand upon you, so we're going to follow. And as you do see godly leadership in these different facets that God set up, if there's godly leadership in government, there's godly leadership in the home, there's godly leadership in church, then follow. Maybe it's not being done the way that you would do it, but is it biblical? Is it an integrity? Is it glorifying God? And these guys, right away, they understand the importance. Hey, I'm going to follow. In verse 18, whoever rebels... Whoever rebels against your command and doesn't heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. They're going to defend Joshua. They understand how easy it would be for people to start destroying this unity. So they're going to work to protect that unity. The last thing they say, and we end with this, is only be strong and of good courage. Only be strong and of good courage. God had told Joshua the same thing three times in ascending intensity. Now Joshua hears it from these two and a half tribes. There must have been something about the way that Joshua said what he said. There must have been something about his leadership where they could sense, okay, Joshua's a little bit timid here. He's a little bit fearful, but he's choosing to lead anyway. He's choosing the path of courage. So their message to Joshua And I kind of picture whoever the leader is of these two and a half tribes. He grabs Joshua. All right, be strong. Be of good courage. That's the only thing we need from you. We're going to be with you. We're going to follow you. But we need you to be confident in the things that the Lord has shown you. And I think that that's what we want in our leaders. I think that that's what we're crying out for in our nation is a godly leader that would be strong and courageous. I think for many of you ladies, if your husband would choose to lead in a Christ-like fashion, being a servant leadership, but leading out, you would say, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow, but I need you to be strong. I need you to be of good courage. I need you to not be double-minded in the things that the Lord is showing you. Hubby, husband, get along with God. Seek his heart for the family, our family, and begin to lead out in, in those things. Probably many of you wives are saying, you know what? I'm tired of trying to be the spiritual leader in our home. I want my husband to get God's heartbeat for our home. I'm tired of being the disciplinarian and the kids have seen me as the bad guy. It would be great if my husband would step up in this. I feel like I'm the only one that's concerned about the finances. I'm tired of harping about the finances. Husband, if you would seek God's heart and you would lead, then, then I would follow. And ladies, if your husband begins to lead, man, encourage him. 
He's not going to always get it right. Joshua's not going to get it right all the time as we see it. He's going to fail as we go through this. We as husbands will fail. But if you see that heart where he's seeking after the Lord and he's starting to lead, again, it may be different than the way you would do it, but follow him. But I think we're crying out for the same thing, for our leaders to be strong and have good courage. I think the church wants pastors, wants elders that are men of prayer and men of the word, and they seek God's heart. And the church is saying, we're ready to go if you'll be strong and courageous. We want you to be strong. We want you to be courageous. I think that we're going to be entering into a time, and this is not, you know, thus says the Lord or chapter and verse, but you don't have to be a genius to look at culture is going this way, and the church is to be countercultural and to stand upon the word of God. In order for that to happen, we need pastors that are going to be strong and courageous. We need pastors that say, I'm going to stand up and teach the Bible no matter what happens, no matter what I'm thought of, whether that means that we lose our tax-exempt status or potentially going to jail for standing upon God's word. But we're going in two different directions. And it's happening very quickly. I think of my children's generation and what they're going to face, your children, your grandchildren's generation. We need leaders that are going to be strong and courageous. And so there's this call out to Joshua, but there's also this call out to us to be strong and courageous in the things that God has called us to. I think there's direct application because when we read God's word, we want to say, okay, what is God wanting me to do with what I just read? And the first is, is take action with what God's called you to. If God's been putting on your heart to pray more, take some action this week to make that happen. If God's been putting on your heart to reach out to a specific person, take some action. If God's been convicting you of sin, take action and go for it. But it would be heartbreaking. It would be a crime for us to sit once again and be stirred with a message like this and not take any action. The smallest step in the direction that God's calling you to is the right step because that's going to lead you to more action. But the easy thing to do is time passes, next Sunday comes, and nothing's changed. So take action on what God's calling you to. And the second is, is be reminded about the war that God's calling you into. We may not have realized it when we received Christ as our Savior, but God did put us in the body of Christ. He saved us for a purpose. And that gets me excited. Growing up, I did play some baseball, and for some reason, I got put out in right field a lot. You know what happens out in right field in Little League games? A lot of nothing. That's what happens. And they call it the daisy picking position because you're just out there picking the daisies, right? So I'd do my three innings there, and guess where I would do the rest of the innings? On the bench, eating sunflower seeds. Man, that was extremely boring. I wanted to be in the action. God wants us to be in the action, to plug in with believers and say, God, you've saved me to serve. You've saved me to be a blessing to other believers, to reach out to unbelievers. And then the last thing is, as you have spiritual leaders in your life, is pray for them, support them, get behind them, just like these two and a half tribes. And I want to leave us with this, as I think we see Jesus in our text. And you're saying, really? Look at Joshua being a type of Jesus. Is Jesus is the ultimate leader that stands and commands us. He says, enter in, rise up, and to what I've called you to. I've already given you the victory, but I'm commanding you to step into the promises that I've given you. Jesus is ultimately the one that reminds us 
of his word. It's Christ who comes to us and says, ah, I've got a plan for your life. I've got good works that were ordained before the foundations of the world. Now you walk in them. And then Jesus is the ultimate leader that needs no encouragement. (laughs) We don't have to go to Jesus and say, hey, by the way, be strong and of good courage. He's perfect. And he's ultimately the one that we follow. He's the head of the church. He's the one that we have our eyes fixed upon. You maybe noticed it, but over time it can kind of fade to the background. As you walk into the foyer by the information desk, it says, looking unto Jesus. And that's our heart as a church. It's Jesus that we follow. It's Jesus that we have our eyes upon. And if we have our eyes upon anybody else, we'll be let down and disappointed. Why do we serve other believers? Not because of other believers, but because of Jesus. Because we love Jesus. Why do we want to serve a lost and dying world? Not because it's easy or they're attractive, but because of Jesus. And so Jesus is in this text, and he's the one ultimately that we look to and that we follow. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Whatever God's put on your heart, go for it. It's not going to be easy, but man, it's going to be worthwhile. Amen? So let's stand and pray together.